everyone. Imagine that uh, when you offer that small gasho bow, it's the one that you do as you step over the threshold into the zindo. So we're stepping into the zindo. Uh, let's do it together. And we'll step into the zindo together. So we're all together, even if it's virtual. And there are those that uh, are following and still arriving. And if you were stepping into the Zendo and taking your seat, uh, you'd be waiting, um, opening the space, holding the space, resting there uh, as others arrived, which you're actually doing right now. So I'll invite the, the bell so we can sit for a few minutes. You have this body, this one body that you bring to your seat. And in doing so, you realize that you're taking this seat certainly for yourself, but also for all those who haven't taken their seat or don't have a seat. For people that you know and some that you don't know, those with whom you have uh, a loving or caring relationship and those who may be distant but for whom you extend your care you're sitting in this space not just for yourself
you're also sitting as an expression of all those who came before you that allowed you to sit in this way, that invited you to sit in this way. With gratitude, we sit upright in a bit of a, a dignified way. And gratitude for all those who came before us. Expressing our innate wakefulness for all those who need it and who can't sit. And we sit as an expression of a generous offering for the future for all those who come after us. with an aspiration that there are those who would follow this path, not us personally, but this path of freedom. <clears throat> One of the dedications at the end of service, a brief echo it's called, E-K-O, echo. May our intentions equally permeate every being with the true merit of Buddha's way. May our intention in sitting equally go out and permeate every being in every place with the goodness of this, this way. And then it's followed by All Buddhas, ten directions, three times. All beings, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, maha, prajna, paramita. And you don't need to know all of these, these words, but there's something tucked in there. All Buddhas, bodhisattva, ten directions, three times that our practice as you sit, right where you're sitting right now, your offering goes in 10 directions, up, down, right, left, forward, backwards, and all the permutations, every direction, three times, past, present, future, So don't think that you're just sitting, your small little self, in your room. You're engaged in a small ceremony, which is an invitation to everyone and everything to find freedom from unnecessary suffering. You're offering your body in that direction with some confidence that you gain over years of practice that this is not only a possibility, it's the foundational reality. <clears throat> You're not just sitting in front of a computer screen. You stepped into the zendo. And that step and that bow and the sitting in your own home in front of your screen is the embodied commitment to practice for the benefit of all beings, yourself included. And that practice and that realization is 
invites us to recite the verse of the robe together. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. It's wonderful to see all of you, as always. And some faces uh, I was actually seeing in person uh, recently. Uh, some of you attended the in-person intensive here in Hawaii. So it's good to see you uh, online and all of you uh, who were supporting us and practicing along with us uh, during that time. We had, um, we had 20 people from various sanghas here at Huyuholana, uh, from Madison, from Austin, from New Jersey, from Kauai, um, all over. And I said to, well, maybe I should also say Elgin, you know, it's not quite Austin. Darcy. And over the week, I, I said to everyone, we're going to build a, a monastery. Uh, and we're going to do it ourselves. And we're going to use Suzuki Roshi's Zen mind, beginner's mind as the guide, not some fancy complex um, Zen kind of thing, but we're going to be beginners. And we're going to build a practice container together, exploring forms and ceremonies and the stories of our Zen ancestors and how all of this is all in alive, alive in us now, really. It's not old. It's not ancient. And we, we put together two practice venues, one more traditional and formal for our morning practice and a kind of a lay Zendo, uh, householder Zendo with the wholehearted practice in the Appamata style in the afternoon. And it was, it was a lovely week. And in support of our uh, continuous practice, <clears throat> at Joel and Lori uh, offer themselves in their teachings uh, in this venue, um, offering themselves and calling you forward in the last couple of weeks. And, and the teachings were so generous from, from Lori and, and Joel and, and deeply in alignment with the intensive as I often do, I'll go back and, and listen to what was offered and the people who came forward to amplify the teachings. And um, I was struck by the question that Lori asked right in the beginning of her, her uh, brief talk, which yeah, you, if you haven't heard it, doesn't, doesn't really matter. She said, are you waiting? Are you waiting? And then the practice questions that she asked, she started, she spoke very vulnerably and um, honestly about what it's like for her to step outside her own comfort zone. And so she was making an invitation by that vulnerability. And she asked some questions, the practice questions that go with it, like, what does it require to step outside your comfort zone? What holds you back? 
and she spoke about alternative practices we might we might not think of as practices but we're doing them um, things that shape our lives and our capacity for intimacy or our contractions it's just the usual things that we know about the self-centered dream and she also asked these are questions that i wrote down because they were great ones are we waiting for someone else to come forward first or are we waiting for some special circumstance to arise which then will allow us to step forward or are we committed to some special um, idea or vision about how things are going to go and waiting for things to show up in a particular way then then we'll, we'll practice then we'll we'll step forward they're great great questions and she spoke about how in a way we're waking up parts of ourselves who've been asleep part of what our practice does and i thought immediately of a beautiful sacred hula that Brahman Cook offered to us, um, in which is the theme of that hula. It's called Children of the Night. And without going into all of the, the meaning, we think that the children of the night, you know, the stars often, but they're also the children in the dark. Those parts of us that haven't been awakened or, or called forward or met in a certain way and the um, the ancient sacred hula that was offered in, during the retreat was exactly what Lori was talking about about waking up parts of ourselves that have been asleep and there's an image i can just briefly mention that's in the midst of this hula is the the stories that are told in the hawaiian um, uh, in the hula are often uh, in the sacred hula are often deep teachings it's not entertainment and there are various levels and there's one place in this uh, one of the verses in the hula that talks about how we have forgotten how to eat from the whole fish this analog we only we chop off the head we chop off the tail we eat that the good part eat the middle but we've forgotten how to eat from the whole fish what does this mean? These nature-based uh, images are, are in Hawaiian teachings. The head, interestingly, in, in, in Hawaiian teachings is the past, full of memories, ideas, plans, things that we're carrying with us. The tail is the future, what's propelling us forward. And we, we chop off these and we forget to be whole. And I thought of that when Lori said, this is the time to be alive now. We never know how long we have. It was that usual call, like on the Han, uh, which uh, Trent offered us in the morning, some of you know, and Ed offered us in the afternoon, uh, calling us, to we don't waste this precious life. We don't know how, how much time we have. <clears throat> and what if we what if we are, don't wait? And what if we actually embodied the freedom and fullness, which is our birthright? It's who we are, our Buddha nature. And what if that's actually our responsibility? It's not like oh, that'd be some nice thing to do. No. This is our responsibility to step into our fullness and to see everybody else the same way. Beautifully complete, broken, full of longing, gorgeously alive, grieving, loving, needing love and filled with the consequences of not having the love that they need and not having a way to see more clearly what life can be is everything. What would it mean to take a chance like that and not wait to feel better, to think you have it sorted out? There's a, <clears throat> a kind of a long a poem, which I call a, a sutra from uh, Mary Oliver, uh, to begin with, the sweet grass is the name of it. It's in several sections. And at, at one 
point, she says in that poem, she wrote, someday I'm going to ask my friend Paulus, this is a real person that she knew, uh, the dancer, the potter, to make me a begging bowl, which I believe my soul needs. And if I come to you, to the door of your comfortable house, with unwashed clothes and unclean fingernails, will you put something in it? And then the strong two lines. I would like to take this chance. I would like to give you this chance. That chance that we offer each other and can receive from each other is a very different orientation from the one that we ordinarily use in everyday life because we're making a shift from privileging feeling for freedom. Are you waiting for a better feeling? Are you hoping to practice that so you'll feel better? Or are you committed to freedom? The liberation offered by our shared practice. That's a very different thing. Feeling better is fine. I, I want to feel better. <laughs> and I hope I do and I hope you do through practice. But that, that's not the focus of practice. To feel better. To meditate so you'll be more relaxed. So you'll be, what, you know, all the different things that we do. It's fine to feel better. But that's, but this shift from feeling to freedom is the real chance i think that in some ways laurie was talking about it uh, later on in the poem mary oliver says we do one thing or another we stay the same or we change congratulations if you've changed sounds a little bit like joko doesn't it it's kind of like you know and then later on she says what i loved in the beginning i think was mostly myself Never mind that I had to, since somebody had to. That was many years ago. Since then, I've gone out from my confinements, though with difficulty. One of Lori's ways, as you know, of stepping beyond and going out of confinements is what Suzuki Roshi uh, used to call um, the Japanese is very beautiful it's called uh, yushan gansui which means the life of wandering through mountains and waters yushan gansui the life of wandering through mountains and waters uh, the way suzuki roshi said it in one of his talks um, and by the way this is one of the really joyful things we did in the retreat i asked everyone to read zen mind beginner's mind before they came then i gave them homework several kinds of homework but this one was Send me ahead of the retreat your favorite quote from Zen Mind Beginner's Mind or something that caught you or something that you were really. So they sent those. Uh, and then I had each of those printed on a card and then I clustered them. And every day that was the Dharma talk. We would go to those quotations and weave them together. And it was amazing. Here's a Suzuki Roshi uh, reflection on Yushan Gansui. He said, strolling about mountains and waters. And this is what Lori does. She takes the nature walks. A lot of her teachings are in these walks in nature. Strolling about mountains and waters means in Zen, the stage where there are no Buddhas or patriarchs, use the old word, ancestors. There are no Buddhas and ancestors to follow and no evil desires to stop. Not only climbing up a mountain or wandering about waters, but all activities are free from rational prejudices and emotional restrictions. Your mental activity is free from any trace of previous activity. Your thinking is always clear without the shadows of good and bad desires. He's talking about stepping further and through nature. And uh, we had the great privilege of um, Yushan Gansui here walking through the forests uh, up high on the mountain and in Molokai. But it's also what Lori was offering. And Joel followed along the next week very generously, welcoming and weaving these kinds of teachings, expressing his gratitude in a very direct and kind way with everyone as he does. And he 
what I particularly loved, and even just the first few minutes, I got this feeling of embodied, gracious leadership. And then he referenced um, my uh, Dharma talk that I did after the Dharma transmission about the yarn, the red yarn and the connection, holding it. And he said, I was surprised that such a life-changing event could have arisen so spontaneously. You know, because I'd, I'd been staying with my mom and she was crocheting and I looked at her yarn and I, and I thought, oh, I have this idea of how to embody the lineage in this way. And I asked her if she had enough red yarn and of course she did. And, and Joel was saying it, it, this thing was profoundly influential to him and many, many people. And he said, I was surprised that such a life-changing event could have arisen so spontaneously. But that's how all the teachings emerge. And this is what all the koans are. They're just records of spontaneous, ordinary events, reflecting the spacious possibility of freedom among us here, now, doing everyday things. Now, when the stories come from ancient China, a little different context, it sounds kind of wild, but really, it's ordinary things. And I appreciated, uh, Joel's talking about the dilemma koans and the mystery koans, as Sutherland talks about it. The dilemma koans, you know, where the when the walls are there and the locked doors, we're in this room, we're kind of caught. And um, he said, in those kind of koans, you don't get nicer wallpaper. I love that image. You get a lock pick, you know, so you can have more freedom. But this is the thing. The promise is not better feelings, better wallpaper, better. It's about freedom. As Laurie taught and the mystery koans, are reminding us what's just beyond those walls to breathe with more freedom as you gaze all the way to the horizon and certainly sitting on the porch at Hui Holana, there's a large, there's vastness that we were looking at. So we were embodying some of these things. But, you know, I was reflecting on my own experience with the, the yarn and the talk. Is when you receive something like in the talk that day, so mundane as a ball of my mother's yarn. Somebody just hands you this ball of yarn. And then you pass it on to the person next to you. And then you begin to see that it's weaving everybody together. And you're holding it. A new horizon does open. And maybe your breath is a little more at ease. And this sort of mystery is made manifest from these elements that are very mundane. And suddenly, you're not thinking about the Heart Sutra or chanting it, you are the Heart Sutra. Form and boundlessness are right there as you hold the yarn and sit next to your friends. This is what Joel meant when he said there is another world and it's this one. It's in this one. It's within this one. But you only come to know that through practice, which is self-compassionate and generous with others, which Joel was expressing. And when he, he also reflected on um, that question that, that Vicki Austin had asked me, what's Blanche saying to you now? And I said, she's saying, take care of your mudra. Take care of your whole body. Take care of your whole life. You know, the mudra isn't just the cosmic mudra of your hand. The mudra is your whole body. We sit as a mudra. One morning, as we were sitting in the zindo here on Molokai, I, it was a question that arose in me. What is the simplest? Because you know my statement. How simple are you willing to let this be? What is the simplest and clearest expression of Soto Zen practice that I can make? One of those kind of impossible, <laughs> but something came. And I said very slowly and as clearly as I could, as we're all sitting, take care of your posture. Take care of your breath. Awakening will take care of itself.
Take care of your posture. Take care of your breath. Your awakening will take care of itself. And I was reminded of that when Eileen came forward to talk to Joel. And they spoke about connection and attention. And I was reminded of the key phrase from the TEDx talk I did up pause, reflect, connect, and realize, oh, this has been moving in me for a while. And those three words came to me in about two in the morning on the sleepless night before my talk when I was too nervous to sleep. And I changed my talk completely in the dark night. That our job is to, to pause, and to reflect, and then to connect. Take care of your posture. Take care of your breath. The awakening will take care of itself. And then when it does arrive, in the inimitable voice of CJ, don't cling to the zing, <laughs> you know, let it go. As Mary Oliver said later in the poem, right at the end of that long poem, I hope you'll, you'll look it up. Maybe we can link it. She concludes by saying, and I have become a child of the clouds and of hope. And I become the friend of the enemy, whoever that is. And I become older. <laughs> and cherishing what I've learned, I become younger. And what do I risk to tell you this? See, there's Lori's. And what do I risk to tell you, which is all I know? Love yourself. Then forget it. Then love the world. Love yourself, then forget it, then love the world. Lori taught us to take the chance to love yourself just as you are, not striving for a better feeling, but with confidence that freedom is possible as we stroll through this world of suffering. I'm suggesting we turn further from this foundation of radical self-acceptance, take care of our life, take care of our mudra, take care of our body, take care of everything in your life and the life around you. Receive the thread that's passed on, pass it on to somebody else. And Joel said, and then love the world. Live and be lived for the benefit of all beings, we say in the precepts, which is the bodhisattva vow. And when Mary Oliver says, and what do I risk to tell you this? Which is all I know, what's the risk? Well, first of all, the risk is losing all your narratives about who you think you are and who you think I am and seeing the beautiful and horrible truth of who we are is uh, messy miracles, as I call it. And what do you risk? Um, Someone was telling me something she learned from one of her teachers yesterday, which I appreciated. She said, it's so painful when a person or a situation disappoints you. And those are the only kind of people there are and only kind of situations there are. And what else do we risk to notice when we privilege personal feelings over freedom, we are caught in the self-centered dream which leads to unnecessary suffering. So take care of your life. In practice, take care of your posture, take care of your breath. Awakening will take care of itself. So I think that brings us up to date. Weaving these things together from the last few weeks. And uh, as always, expressing some of my own, my own practice, this week was, uh, the, the week of practice here was quite profound for me. It was, uh, I wasn't just teaching, it was uh, 
is profoundly relational uh, and transformational for me. And so I'm grateful for all, all the people who were in, um, in person, but I'm also grateful for all of you who were not, uh, but who continue to practice and hold this larger container. So thank you very much. What do you risk by stepping forward? Brad. Hey, Flint. Hey there. Uh, good to see you. Yeah. I have a question about how we best help other people along the path. Been doing a year long training with a motivational interviewing person spent 10 years doing Buddhist psychology stuff and I work as a therapist and this trainer says we should never give people coming to us for help advice, mm -hmm. never give advice, just practice empathy and compassion. <clears throat> Sometimes I feel like people want advice and I'm wondering if you can speak to this. You want some advice about that? I want some advice. <laughs> <laughs> he really, so he really believes it's a year long thing that all we do is empathy and compassion and people change on their own. But 10 years of Buddhist psychology study, there's a lot of guidance and direction that I have benefited from. Of course. So I'm wondering if it's, we don't give unsolicited advice or we don't give advice at all. And I'm just curious, I, I wanna know what you think of this because I've gotten input from you on things and it's helped me a lot. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's no way not to give advice. Anytime we're gonna be with someone, just the way we are and anything we say is going to be taken. If someone is looking for advice, they're going to find it, even if we're not giving it for one thing. Therefore, it's best to shape ourselves through practice so that we are a person of uh, compassion and kindness and loving presence. So that that's what they'll, that's the advice they'll find when, because they're going to look for it and they're going to seek it out. And if we have something to offer, it would be a shame, um, you know, that line that Mary Oliver says, if I come to you with my begging bowl, will you put something in it? I'd like to give you that chance. I'd like to receive that chance. Sometimes people come asking for something and it would be uh, a shame not to meet them and to offer them something, but not as, um, I'm going to give you the truth. Um, same thing I'm doing here. I'm not giving you the right way saying, this is what I've learned. And that's what Mary Oliver says at the end of that poem. This is what I've learned after all this time. Uh, of course, you're going to offer something. But in the spirit of um, the qualities that Buddhist psychology has suggested that you offer them in, or this, this person suggested, uh, it's not the, the problem I think that this person is pointing to, I'm, I'm guessing, isn't so much advice giving it's who's giving it if i do it from some manager part of me that thinks they know or uh, then it's a very different thing than if my more sort of true self or buddha nature comes forward just to meet the person to see what's needed because that's something that arrives in the meeting it's not something i'm giving to you so i'm kind of rambling around this in the uh, Yushan Gansui. I'm walking through the waters and mountains here. How is it landing? It makes good sense. And I think it's, it, it's the middle path between um, one side and the other, because yeah. I was, was reacting to the never give advice, but what you're saying, because he says just do empathy and compassion. But what you're saying is that if I'm centered and I'm in my practice and I'm in my consciousness and awareness, if I'm in my own Buddha nature to the degree that I can be then I can actually meet somebody and know maybe when, when it's solicited input versus unsolicited power, power over somebody versus power with somebody. Yeah. Say, say his statement again. Never, never give advice, just practice empathy and compassion. Right. Yeah. And I would say never be the one who's the advice giver. Never be the one who's the advice giver. Just meet them on equal ground and see what flows with empathy. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah.
because then the appropriateness, then it's upaya, appropriate response, then appropriateness will, will find itself. You can trust that. Right. Because sometimes the appropriateness is they're saying, like you just said, if they're saying, please help, uh, my bowl is empty and I, there is something to offer, you said it would be a shame to not offer. To not respond, yeah. And sometimes <laughs> the first question has to be, what is it that you're interested what, what do you want? What do you want? Even just assuming that you know. Right. Or someone says, well, I need you to tell me about this. Uh, you don't really know yet. Take your time. Well, if I respond to that, what, what are you actually looking for? And then watch and track the person to see what they're actually asking and what's really really. Yeah. Great. That's, that's more skillful, you know, over time that you, you develop. Thank you very much. Thank you for your excellent question. Hello, Ra. Hi. Um. I'm, um, I had to come forward because you're talking about taking care. And um, I've been really with that. And I have no idea if I can articulate this because it's just the beginnings. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder if I can connect somewhere with what I was with the other day. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm doing the precepts group with Joel. Yes. And I was with... Um, I, I don't even quite understand how this came about. I was with the precept of um, taking only what is freely given. Mm -hmm. And um, somehow I was with that day in the news, this Greek boat had gone down. Mm -hmm. of, um, and a lot of people were lost and had died. And, and I was sitting in my room and looking around at the, frankly, the state of my house, the trail of things that had been kind of left through my house in my busy life. And somewhere it felt really directly connected to our oh, do I really see the things I have around me? And what I was seeing was a lack of seeing and a lack of caring. Mm -hmm. Very ordinary things, you know. Um, how do I take care of the, the privilege of my life? Mm -hmm. And um, it was sore. Yes, it's a tender place. It was sore what I was, what, what can be missed mm -hmm. um, and motivating. Mm -hmm. um, but, but somehow it, it, it was just one of those direct experiences of this is what I have to do. This is one of the things I have to do. I have to take care of that, that trail of things mm -hmm. because I am here in this life. I don't know if I'm articulating it. This, is the, um, this is the little lock, the pick lock that suddenly opened you beyond the walls of your more narrow vision. It's like, oh, I, I'm privileged to have this life. And so I'm to be a good steward of it, to take care of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And sometimes those things come when some harsh or painful or disastrous or unthinkable thing happens. Uh, I'm going to take care of this life in which I've not drowned. Hmm. Where I've not had, to, I, I get the privilege of taking care of a life that I still have. It's a very different way to think about it. Not because I'm a better person if it's organized or is not that. No. A deep responsibility. 
Yeah. It's the same responsibility I was talking about of um, having some confidence in our Buddha nature. It's responsibility. Mm. Um, so that we can be practice in the world. Yeah. And and somehow I put alongside it that what was enlivening for me when you were just talking about take loving ourselves so that we can forget ourselves. Like yeah. somehow taking care there so we can have the bigger. Right. And it, of course, it doesn't mean to forget ourselves in a exiling way just need to not be uh, so caught up with ourselves mm. it's um her, her few lines there were so gorgeous i think they're an expression of dogen you know when he said to study the buddha ways to study the self to study the self is to forget the self to forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad things when actualized by myriad things body and mind of self drop away no trace of realization remains and that no trace continues endlessly. You know, in that segment, which I know is quite a lot, is she's saying it so beautifully and simply and poetically. Like, oh yeah, yeah, first love yourself, then let it go, then love others. And loving others means taking care of your house. Yeah, strange. Your That's your mudra, take care of your mudra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I came up some time back and and said something. It was really similar. This is obviously something that touches me of being with the real pain, the, 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 so touched by the suffering of the world. And what I could do was place my shoes carefully outside my workroom. Exactly. And every time I place my shoes, I'm a little bit with you. Yes. Mm. Those things seem in some ways inconsequential, but they're not. They're an expression of what's most consequential. Thank you, Flynn. Thank you. And, and thanks for taking care of this thing that was like a little bud that you needed to care for a little more by meeting and yeah. expressing it. So that's another kind of care. Yes. It's like Penelope. Loveland. There you are. Hello. Um, I just want to thank you for your wonderful teachings as usual. But I had to chime in about the advice part because um, I feel like that's one of the reasons you're such an amazing teacher because um, through the work, We've done with the internal family systems and all the meetings we've had for many, many years. Um, it's like before, you know, I knew you, I had Jungian psychotherapy and I had to leave that because that wasn't that wasn't the interconnectedness of beings. And so to me, what you do as far as giving advice uh, is you create these You've always helped me when I've had a problem or whatever, create an imaginary dialogue, say, with the person that maybe I was having a conflict with or whatever. And it just so in other words, it's sort of like you just lead, take your hand and take the person's hand and lead them on the path in a certain way. And then, like you were saying, the conversation develops because you would you would like point out the different, you know, the managers or the critics or whatever, you know, all these things. And then we get the dialogue going and then you'd combine it, say, with the poetry or art or whatever. And it would be so fulfilling. So just notes on the advice. It is, I mean, I feel like you've given me so much advice that's been such light on the path, but you do it in a very beautiful way. And anyway, I just wanted to speak to that. Thank you. Well, thank you. I've, you know, a lot of that, I think, comes from my deep confidence in the relation, re relationality. That if we meet in the ways that we're meeting here, in the way Brad talked about also, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, 
but I have deep confidence that if we meet in that those kind of qualities, that um, it's going to open something, and that something would be way more um, generous and uh, maybe appropriate than any personal advice I could give, because we're entering boundlessness together in form. We're entering this boundless space. And if I give advice, I have this small one person, limited knowledge, it, not that I might not have something useful, but it's only like a trinket compared to what opens. And sometimes when we enter those spaces, and you know this, by the end of it, you mentioned some qualities that you felt uh, more at ease or spacious, or I can't remember exactly what you said, but, but then you look back and it's like, wait a minute, what, what happened to the thing I asked? How do we get here? Because the place that we arrive doesn't always look like the place we started. Uh, it's, um, it's more intimate, more, more on target. But I have confidence in that. That's not about me or you. It's about what happens when you and I can meet. So I just wanted to offer that as well. Thank um, you. Thank you. Are you in New Braunfels? No, you can tell I'm in my little tiny office closet in New Braunfels, yes. <laughs> Excuse the closet effect, but... Uh, Good to see you. This is the only quiet spot. <laughs> Awakening takes care of itself. But the things we have to do. I see Bronwyn's raised her hand. I haven't had my face here because my I'm on my iPhone and it's wiggling. Yes. But it is beautiful, isn't it? It is, it is. <clears throat> I was listening to Brad's words and um, reminded of shouldering, which I've been studying. And... Um, in that particular technique, I love it because it's so Buddhist. In working with someone, you approach it, the person with you have no idea. I know, no, don't know mind. I'm sitting here with you, but I have no idea. But I'm going to sit here and listen, and I'm not going to give any advice. But at some point, I may, if I have your permission, ask a question. And the thought is, the other person has all the answers. Mm -hmm. And to just listen to them because they will lead you to the question that will lead them to their own answer. And right. I just, I love that idea because it's so much in the teachings. Yeah, I think Penelope was just underscoring too. And I was saying, if we yeah. meet in that space, have confidence that that's where we'll go. That's right. That's right. And, uh, it's quite easy for me to do that on a one-on-one -on -one session, mm -hmm. but carrying it out into the world and not giving advice, but listening to people, just friends who are talking and not giving advice, but listening well. Whoa, what a study um, to listen. Well, the, that's one good thing about this kind of practice is it's a very... Um, uh, robust that you can't you can't use it up it will continue to offer itself to you over and over, right. and over over again and every time you think oh no i got that part and then another one shows up oh okay try this now that's right that's right so um yeah i think uh, the biggest aha is listening yeah in inside and to what others are saying and absolutely uh, Giving even giving myself advice is like, no, I just if I am breathing in the moment, I'll know the next step. And if the advice giver comes up, either for yourself or other, that's another one you can turn toward. That's like, another what? There's another part that you can turn toward. Right. You don't have to push that away. It's like, oh, there's the advice giver. Let's see what that's about. Yeah. And you yeah. just continue. That's right. That's yeah. right. Thank you for that. Yeah, the advice. I, I really appreciate that you're essentially uh, in the center of the welcoming circle there on the lawn. 
Yes. Right, where you, and you're welcoming all of us. <laughs> I am. I am. Thank you for uh, thank you for being here on this island and for giving these talks. I just love being with you. Well, and for those of you that do not know, Roman is only like one mile down the road from me right here. <laughs> Very close. Very close. But Lynn is much further. Lynn is 11 time zones away. She's going to come up now. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Roman. And she's not really that far away. Hmm. Oh, I just, just wanted to share with you something that's sort of been happening in my practice. These things that arrive from nowhere. Yes, that leads <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, and everywhere. Um, and it makes me giggle as well. You know, one of the things about um, the Queen that we have in the UK, who's no longer with us, um, is that they always speak in the plural. You know, we are very pleased to be with you. Uh, and uh, what I find in my own practice, and it seems to have come from nowhere, and, uh, is, um, is that my pronoun has changed from I to we. <laughs> and um, that changes everything. Right. Part of the reason we change the chants, I vow, we vow, the vow. It's, it's, uh, it seems strange to go back the other way. You know, you can't after you realize that's what I'm hearing in you. Yeah. Mm. I'm just curious to, uh, to notice what shifts with it, really, how it, how, how it changes everything. Everything, yeah, that your view suddenly mm. happens mm. as we realize in an embodied way, which is your focus and your teaching so much of this one body, this one breath, this one mind, one heart. No other. Yeah, yeah we're, this is it. That's. Those are the ideas we can say, but the realization of it is profoundly uh, transformative. Thank you. So we've come to the to the end of our time. So just take with you today this uh, question. Uh, do you privilege feeling over freedom? And take care of your posture and take care of your breath. Awakening will take care of itself. And in the support of that, we invoke the four practice principles then. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering holding to self-centered thoughts exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. And as the bell rings itself out, can you hear me when the bell is ringing? Okay, I want to remind everyone that we're uh, taking uh, better care as if we can about uh, um, safety and privacy on the internet. So just a reminder, if, since this is a recorded session and these teachings are posted on the internet, if you have spoken in a, in a way that you wish not to be part of that recording, 
please let our monitor and others know um, as soon as you can. So we respect your privacy in, in dealing with that. Maybe, I don't know if Jessica has anything else to say about it, but I wanted to remind you of that. Thank you very much for your participation and for your practice, for your care, your love. Thank you so much, Flint, and thank you, everyone. Apamata's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity and your support makes such a huge difference. Uh, there's a link for contributions on the website and I'll post one here in the chat as well. Um, you, can, uh, you can contribute uh, in general or you can contribute directly uh, for the various teachers. Um, and so I, I've uh, placed a link for contributions that go directly to Flint as well. Um, thank you all. It's wonderful to see you. And now I will turn it over to the lovely Maria. Maria is missing.